hockey. Yeah, yeah. My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. And it's not just Judd's Hockey Show. It's the Wednesday extravaganza. The the line is intact. Zolga, Declan Goff, Jesse Pierce, of course, Bar Down Beauties podcast as well. Check uh, that out and also covers the wild for NHL.com. And we are here off of uh, a very interesting, actually, back-to-back games. The Wild coming back in a game I want to talk about here and beating the Canucks on Monday after being behind by about three goals, 10-7, to seven, seven goals in the third period. And then they lose in Winnipeg on Tuesday night. Uh, but, guys, I want to go back to the Canucks game, okay? Just for sheer absurdity of a hockey game that I don't know that we're going to see again. It was reminiscent of the 80s. You don't see it now. But, Jesse, what was your takeaway, and how long did it take you to absorb what we saw on Monday, which was which looked like a pretty decisive Canucks win, turning into, you know, a game that had numerous records broken. The Wilds' previous uh, amount of goals, most goals in one game, was eight. They scored ten, including two into an empty net. How long did it take you to process what we saw uh, in, in that afternoon tilt on Monday? I think I'm still processing it, right? I mean, like you had mentioned, Judd, we're never going to see a game like that again, and largely in part because I've never seen so many five-on-three penalties be given to a team, yeah. which is how Minnesota put themselves in front, which is great that they capitalize on those opportunities. No, I legit blacked out. I had my story written, you guys, JT Miller with a hat trick, yada, yada, Vancouver, all that good stuff, and then that changed right after – Minnesota makes it 5-3, right, at toward the end of the second period. And then they go on this run. Like, I had to go back and watch the recaps and just make sure I was getting the goal sequence right because it happened so quickly. And it was tremendous. And I, <clears throat> I knew that that Winnipeg game then was going to be hard to follow up on because the emotions were so high. Ten goals, seven goals in a period for crying out loud. I think, what, five or six within the span of six minutes in that third period. It was just absolutely, absolute insanity. Uh, a lot of fun to watch. I loved, I'm sure you knew this, Judd. Did you know? that two teammates have not scored six points in a game together since Wayne Gretzky did it back in 1993. So, Jules and Kirill Kaprizov in good company there. Absolutely. Dex, your thoughts on a crazy day? Oh, my God. Uh, you know, well, as Jesse, you know, complains that she had to rewrite her story, which I we completely <laughs> understand. We know all that is. You know, you, you, you're watching ass-kicking, and you just think, oh, you know, actually, from a sports writer perspective, that's always great because you, you can file the story. It's like the bare bones is already written, and then you have to control out, delete that SOB. It's a whole thing. Uh, I was asked here at our company if I wanted to work the company suite because we need a li- liaison in the suite every time we, we have a suite for listener giveaways and stuff. And I said, you know, Monday's a very busy day for, for me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. And then our guy A.J. Fredrickson got tasked with having to do it. And then A.J. ends up watching one of the most entertaining, like, non-playoff hockey games in Minnesota history. So, yeah, an absolute bananas of a game. Um, and probably dovetails into our other conversations and topics here. But I think it goes to show can the Wild win games with the top line that is producing at a very ridiculous rate right now? Can they continue this hot stretch? That's what I'm uh, kind of curious on. If they can, if this top line can kind of shoulder everything, can they? Can that help them get by with what they can do on offense? And the answer is sometimes. It's sometimes. And look, that game was as a fan, it was great fun. Like I, I, I'm watching that thing and my head is swimming. And I'm like, oh my god, this this happens, and then that ha- third period was absolutely crazy. Um, but 
if I'm John Hines privately, I'm like, okay, there's some problems here. The goaltending, and this continued last night against the Jets, Jesse, the goaltending, very questionable to abysmal at times. Um, You can't give up seven goals. And then in the 6-3 loss to the Jets, while, while, yes, the Wild did play well. They had almost 40 shots, okay? Declan's question is answered because the Jets' top line is put up against the Kaprizov-Ek-Boldy line. And those guys went from against the Canucks, Kaprizov, three goals, three assists, six points, plus two. Erickson Eck, same exact line, three, three, six, plus two. And Boldy, one goal, three assists, four points, plus one. Unbelievable night, okay? The Jets, who are good defensively, said, okay, throw that at us. And here's what we got. Kaprizov, power play goal, an assist, a minus two. Erickson Eck, no goals, a power play assist, a minus two, and Boldy, nothing, a minus three. And he also started to think he was, again, Gretzkyan and turned the puck over, including to the empty net goal. So, Jesse, I think Declan's question was answered, which is, if you're going to put that much firepower on a line, you are going to, at times, thrive. But in, like, the playoffs, you're probably going to get a line that's going to do nothing but focus on trying to stop you and that's where you need more depth scoring. It's a double-edged sword because without that line going, you have absolutely no shot in H-E double hockey sticks to do anything, right? You can't even talk about playoffs if you don't have your Caprice off your Eck and your Boldy going right now. We've talked about Marcus Johansson needing to figure something oh. out there because you're right. That second line is not even producing. Matt Zuccarello was only on the score sheet via power play. Uh, on the, during that Vancouver game, right? And and it's great that that power play is clicking that first unit in particular. But yeah, you need to add some more scoring depth. And I don't think Minnesota has that, unfortunately. That's kind of why when we go back to those discussions of lines, when we talked about, well, maybe Jules should stay back because he adds a little bit after. Maybe you have Boldy not put up on that front. But personally right now, I think if you want a shot to make the playoffs, you need to load up that front line and just hope that they get the good matchup. Hope you get your home matchup when win that home ice game uh, with that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know, because there's not many other offensive players. You look at that roster, not many of those guys are going to scare an opposing defense. Do you think if they get, though, just, and this is a a, a tall ask at this point with uh, the state of the goaltending, if they get league average goaltending, if they get just consistent goaltending, can this team carry on the same way they're doing with that top line and with league average goaltending? Does that give you hope in a playoff series? Does it? Do you still feel the same about this team? Is it? Is it just not sustainable at all? I guess that's everyone's kind of again riding the high because the Wild have played well, even though they lost yesterday. They've played well lately, and maybe they can still sneak into the playoffs. But they're clearly built so much differently than they were these last three playoff runs that I don't know if they can just ride a top line and get average goaltending and and see if they can you know, make some magic in the playoffs. Like The last three teams that have made the playoffs of the Wild are leaps and bounds better than this team still. You can't. I mean, you look at the potential of who Minnesota might face. They have anything but average goaltending on the other end, whether that be a Winnipeg, whether that be Dallas, whether that be even Colorado, whose goaltending is probably the worst amongst all of that, but has proven to be well. Uh, yeah, I mean, the inconsistency in goaltending. You guys, I've been so good all year long about <laughs> not criticizing the goaltending. And I'm Come done. On, I'm done. I finally Go. burst out of me today. 
The biggest problem is the inconsistency you're seeing in Philip Gustafson, which was a big concern coming in. But you're looking back at those goals that he allowed. The reason he got pulled after the second two periods, he was fighting it bad. They were softies that he just wasn't prepared. It's almost like he wasn't paying attention. There's one where Zach Bogosian gets beat, and I think you have Philip Gustafson looking at him saying, oh, well, Bogo's got it. Well, he don't got it, so JT Miller just kind of saunters in and pots it very easily with Gustafson so far back in the net. And that's happened time and time again. Again, I think the defense, yes, shares some liability there and some accountability, but Philip Gustafson has not followed up on the year he had last year to me yet, right? Not to the extent that he needs to. Because then the problem is you have Marc-Andre Fleury who comes in, who is, for lack of a better word, old, as I like to say. But not only that, he wasn't expected to have this many games under his belt. He wasn't expected to be a starter. It wasn't going to be a 50-50 split. That was something I think that Marc-Andre Fleury was looking forward to, something that Philip Gustafson was ready to shoulder. And certainly injuries aside, it just it's been a really weak tandem this year and it's it is it's concerning it's concerning moving forward because right now is the time of year where you need your goaltending to be hot you need your goaltending to be able to save you these games and frankly the goaltending itself hasn't done that in too many instances this year whether that be flurry or Gus, there haven't been too many goalie wins per se um and so certainly it helps when your offense is going because the puck is down in the other end and that's great and that's fine and well because right, right now the goalies i just it's a big old question mark and and look, here's here's the thing too. The last two games, the Wilds played two really good teams. They haven't played that well. Like the Canucks, you could literally going into the third period, I kid you not, Dex, on Monday, they were up against the ropes and up by two. Yep. And you could feel them. And 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 I was talking to to someone in the press box, and I said, they gotta put Flurry in, and if they do, it feels like they could come back. Now, not seven goals. Don't get me wrong. I didn't see that. But the Canucks felt like they were vulnerable for sure. The Jets, I didn't think, played great last night at all. But here, here's your problem. Last two games combined, 12 goals on 53 shots. That's a 774 <laughs> save percentage. And I know some of them are tough, okay? But the ones that stand out to me are, are just, you're exactly right. The JT Miller goal that went over Gus's shoulder cannot go in. I don't care if the defenseman's beat or not. The second goal last night in Winnipeg that Flurry said he didn't see, which I think came 14 seconds after their first goal, cannot go in. Like, not in, not if you're going to make the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, this has been – it's fun to watch when when the Wild is skating and certainly the threat of a line is there. But, I mean, I think that this is all for naught. I think that this is a nothing burger unless your goaltending improves in a huge way. And I just don't know that I see that. I don't know that the consistency – and the other thing that gets me is when Gus starts to go bad now, it goes really bad. Mm-hmm. That Coyotes game, he he was coming back from being hurt, you guys. But that went bad, and he was just, it was like over. And the Canucks game, same way. So, like, like we could talk about this and that and a run for the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. But I don't see how you have any hope of a sustained success rate when your goaltending is this leaky and consistently just not good i mean philip gustafson 3.27 goals against average and then you've got 2.96 for mark andre Fleury. right i mean it's just absolutely unacceptable and again i still do maintain a lot of that liability is on a very weak blue line outside of brock faber i'm just not impressed with the the defense this year i haven't been all year and yes injuries included but it's just 
it there's no confidence and it's kind of interesting because i would be curious to to pay more attention to this because admittedly i haven't yet how different the defense plays in front of Gus and versus Flurry, right? Because I do feel obviously there is that transcendence, there's that difference there. Because I think in front of Flurry, for whatever reason, they go a little bit harder, and it's not necessarily because they think that they don't trust him back there. But there's just a difference of opinion. Granted, both goalies play a very different style, um, but I think that's something to look at too. Is why again an inconsistency? That is the theme of the year: is inconsistency, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is probably the worst. Uh, description of a squad for a season is inconsistent because there is, there's just nothing. It's hard to pinpoint one specific thing when there's a hundred different things wrong and a hundred different things right in every different game. Well, I guess what does that mean for their trade deadline plans though? Cause I mean, a month ago we were saying, yes, yeah, sell off everything you can that you, that you're able to trade. And then uh, I don't know who it was. I think it was Frank Cervelli of daily face off who had the note that maybe the wild end up not trading Mark Andre Fleury cause they're playing so well. Now the goaltending is still a, problem despite the wild right. playing so well so i guess what do you do do you just kind of you just steer clear of making any additions do you make a goaltending swap and you know get another backup slappy that can kind of maybe stabilize things the wild have had a long history of acquiring goaltenders at the deadline that actually end up help, helping them but i guess i don't know if you can really find another goalie here and you're not really in position to be like shelling out a future asset you shouldn't be excuse me in a position to shell out a legitimate asset to bring in a goaltender here. I just don't think that's going to be worth it. for them. Well, and beyond that, you have teams that probably were needing a goalie a week or two ago that aren't as much anymore. Edmonton, I don't think is probably in the chase anymore. They seem to be doing just fine with the goaltending that they have. Right. I mean, so you have certain teams that I think might be pulling back. I think there's probably still enough chatter, but also I look at Marc-Andre Fleury and his desire has probably got to drop a smidge as of late as well. That's probably true. Um, on a different subject, back to the forward lines. And he scored twice last night and played well. Does anyone have any idea why Marco Rossi was demoted to a bottom six role? Like, like of all of the things I watched on Monday, you know, of all the things I watched, I didn't see one where I thought, you know what, 23 deserves a demotion. Do we have any theory and and I watched uh, at least what Bally showed for John Hines post game, and I didn't see an explanation. Do we know why Hartman was put up on that pseudo second line? Ryan Carter called the Rossi line the third line. At first, I thought it was the fourth line, but just to be safe here, it's a bottom six. Yes, I. You know, it's funny when you slid into my DMs with that question last night. I was like, "Oh, here." Let's be very waiting. clear. That's all I slid yeah. in your DMs with. <laughs> I don't want to upset. That's true. I don't upset Dawn. <laughs> um, but like I had mentioned to you then, and I still the only thing I can think of is it was to feed the propaganda of the Ryan Hartman, you know, drama maybe, and like oh, maybe and there was, yeah, you know what I mean. I don't because otherwise it makes zero sense. Also, the other obvious possibly obvious explanation would be he was trying anything to get going. I mean, Minnesota fell behind pretty quickly on during that game. Right. So I think that's when you make those in-game decisions and you're trying to change and things on the fly. Uh, Cause he did eventually go back. Right. I mean, that didn't stick around for, for too many. The Rossi shifts. one did stick around. Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Rossi? He took, um, he took the first line apart for a shift. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I... he put Zuccarello back with Kaprizov and X. Yes. yes and then yes, he went yes. right back to, boldy but no the the rossi thing he started the game with that but maybe it's to balance the scoring too you know well, that's what i'm wondering is that, there a good right? explanation yeah i'm open to that. hearing explanations 
But I was like, what? This seems very odd to me. Yeah. Dex, you got to, got what, what would Mr. Put Your Heinz cap on? What do you yeah. think? Yeah. 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 Put your Mr. Positivity cap on and disagree with me when I ask questions. <laughs> I, I would, uh, I would definitely move him up. I wouldn't be putting him in a spot to be playing demoted minutes. Uh, especially too, That's if, you're, what it was. if you're if you're going to have a, a top heavy line, which you do, you need kind of to get as much offense as you can. So why would you be putting a guy like Marco Rossi, who's had a great season, honestly, and really an under the radar season? Why would you be putting him in a spot where he shouldn't be successful? I think that's that's frustrating, and it, and it should definitely be brought up a lot more because they they can't really afford for him to be a bottom six dude. Yeah, it was weird, and like I I just don't think that Hartman is playing well enough to justify a promotion. And then he also, here's the other thing last night. Again, he took a Hartman penalty. He took a Hartman penalty and those kill you. And and like if John Hines was being truthful about this, that's got to piss you off to no end. And the thing with Hartman that just really gets me is dude, you're a marked man. Like the stripes are looking at you. First of all, in that game, they are for sure because of the Profetti thing, but the he's a marked guy. Like, if he reaches with his stick, he's going to get called for penalty because he's known for that. So, like, I, I just – I was trying to go through the and, – and I do actually give Hines credit for this. I do like the fact he juggles lines at times. Mm-hmm. Like, he does things I really like. But that was one where I was like, why would you – as Dex said so appropriately, why would you put a guy like Rossi in a position to play less, which I believe he did. Yeah. So that yeah, was just weird. We need more Judd in post-game pressers, I think. Well, yeah. I was just spouting negativity. A 10-7 game man comes out here. So I what, what anno- was really bad in there? I got an, I got annoyed because everybody and the Bally's guys were like smirking like Cheshire cats. I got an, I got annoyed because everyone was taking a victory lap. And look, it's a nice win, but if you're a coach, you should not be happy with that game. Like, like you know, yes, it's a comeback. Yes, that's nice. But first of all, for two periods, your goaltender sucked. And second of all, you gave up seven goals and you had to score. And, and, you know, you scored 10 goals. Now, if this was the Oilers in 84, God bless you. <laughs> but it ain't the Oilers in 84. So I just, there was a lot. There's no way that if you're John Hines, it, when, when he watched that film, that he, that he was like, yeah, this is great. Maybe we could score 10 goals more, especially as we've talked about with one line doing it. That's the other thing. Your secondary scoring. You need more. And then the Rossi thing. So here's what here's what drives me crazy, okay? I looked it up this morning just because I was like, I'm being very tough on Goudreau, and more importantly, Marcus Johansson. Am I wrong, Judd? Like, am I, am I lashing out, Judd? Marcus Johansson, last 20 games, okay? Has four goals, five points, and is a minus 14. Ugh. Since scoring two goals... Versus Washington on January 23rd, which, by the way, former team. I think he's played for the Capitals twice now. Okay? Motivated Marcus Johansson. Two goals. Great game. Um, He has now one assist in five games and is a minus five. That's so, Freddie because it's way worse. It yeah. is way worse for Fred. Yeah, but, I mean, Marcus Johansson's on, on your second line is supposed to be doing something. And Freddie is worse. But my point is, like, what are we doing here? Why does Marcus Johansson get a pass to be on that second line every game? And, and to your credit, Jesse, when you asked Hines about it, uh, what, a week ago now, he sort of deflected it off 
you know, I just, I don't understand what, what is the hierarchy here of why you get a pass or why you don't. It is. It's very curious. Cause you're right. I did specifically call him out because John Hines did acknowledge, Hey, there are some forwards that maybe are put on warning and alert. And it didn't seem as dramatic as maybe social media had it come across, but um, that was when Mason Shaw returned. And I said, well, where would you, how do you assess Marcus Johansson's game and what he has done or what he, you know, continues to attempt to do because it does it it lacks something there's there's a desire there I think that's why we're so hard on Marcus Johansson is because you know that there is a skill there and for whatever reason he doesn't he turns on and turns off right like Freddie Goudreau I think has to work a little bit harder to reach that skill level where Jojo doesn't have to uh but Hines responded to me saying no I think he's been an effective player and it didn't even feel like he was faking it like it felt like John Hines truly believed that Marcus Johansson is doing what is expected of him and, and what is there and I'm like but that's nothing like, why is he on that second line then? I mean, I would. I'd rather see Mason Shaw maybe come in and get a shot to put that up there because at least you know he's going to work hard every single shift. And I think that's what's frustrating is watching Johansson get these top six forward minutes without putting the effort in on any on every shift, right? And it's just, it's, yes. it's puzzling. It's very, very puzzling. It's very frustrating. It makes you wonder, looking down the line, if they are to sign any of these KHL prospects or any of these other guys uh, once, as soon as they're able to, what that means for them. Because I don't want to see a Letary or a Lucini or a Dewar necessarily come out. I'd rather see Freddie and JoJo up in the press box. Yep. I mean, in the last five years, so he got traded, you know, from Washington, or actually it was the Devils to the Bruins, Johansson did, at the trade deadline in 2019. So in five years, he has played for six teams. And he continues yeah. to get just run after run after run. And outside of last year, where he had a decent year he scored 19 goals and he was really instrumental in that cup run for the capitals when they won in uh 2017 i believe it was but outside of that he is getting 16 to 17 minutes a night for a guy who has scored double digit goals once once in that span it just it it, i I don't and i liked what he did when he was acquired here last year at the deadline that was a better uh, uh result than his first stint here in 2020 21 but i at some point, you just got to pull the plug and say, all right, this guy is no longer the guy he was when he was with the Capitals. It's time to give other guys some minutes. And this is the exact guy that he was the first time here. And we said, in retrospect, he was hurt. Because then when he came back here, but I mean, Bill Garrett and us, we all got rope-a-doped. Because Declan's right. He gets traded here, contract year. I thought he played damn well. But nobody likes to glide more. And yes, you're 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 right, Jess. You know what? Goudreau's not good to a certain, like he, he's not a very productive player, but one, he's not that talented. And two, it's not his fault. He got a contract extension. Mm-hmm. Marcus Johansson, to me, you know, he, he got a contract extension based on the falsifying of his willingness to work. I never watch Goudreau and think, well, he's just sort of lazy. Yeah. I do think, okay, he's not as good as, as, as you know, Dean thought. And he's probably not being used the same. I'm sure there's some uh, systems there. But Johansson is, you know, he literally, in my opinion, stealing. Because he's, nobody likes to glide around the ice more. You could tell, you're right, he's a hell of a skater. Yeah. Um, Last night, I don't think I've ever seen a guy show up more. Like, I saw him a ton last night. To the point of where it felt like he he got a talking to. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't get on the score sheet. And how many pucks did he put wide last night? You know? 
So I guess my frustration with him is more so based on just feels like there are some really, unfortunately for all Bill Guerin has tried to clean up the locker room. Like we're lapsing back into some of those old school wild guys. I'll sort of do what I want, you know, seven goals in the third period, right? Well, you know, can you come out against the Jets then? Well, we played well. We just gave up some bad goals. Okay, but you still lost. The wild is five and nine against the division. They are 0 and seven against the top three teams. The Jets, three and 0 against them. The Stars, three and 0 against them. The Abs have beaten them once. We could talk all we want about could this be a playoff team? And I know that the league gives out points like candy, so that, so teams are fighting for that spot. But I'm sorry, like there's too many passengers too often and i'm not saying the fourth line but that second line has some and you cannot ask the first line every game to just dominate completely because it's not going to be possible against good teams no and that's that's the problem that's that's the nhl in general you have a handful of teams that are really really good and if you're not in that handful of teams then you're just it doesn't matter. You could be very middle of the pack, and that's not going to get you anywhere, right? You have almost a better shot sometimes of being a terrible team and getting the upset because nobody has these expectations of you, right? So it's just like yeah. the NHL is not kind to very middling teams, and that would be the Minnesota Wild, right? We I joked this week on our Bardom Beauties episode that they're back. Well, they're just back to middle ground, right? Like they're just not below the middle ground is all I meant, and that's true. I think that's okay. I, I don't it's not detrimental to miss the playoffs because I'm so sick of the narrative of, Hey, we made the playoffs. I don't give a bleep about making the playoffs anymore. Right. I want the expectation to be set far higher. Put, put that pressure on yourself, make it known that you're not in it just to make the playoffs for a first round appearance. It's just not worth it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And look, maybe they like luck out with the playoff bracket that they get to play the Pacific division team. And like, That'd be better than playing a central division team. But at the same time, now you're just like creating your own little path of, well, if they just sneak in, right? If they just sneak in and get the and they get the draw that they want, which also Wild fans have done a ton. They did that with the Vegas Golden Knights a few years ago. We're like, oh, we, we kicked Vegas Golden Knights ass all season long, and then he lost a seven-game series. So it's a completely different beast come playoff time. And I think Judd's right where if they can't even beat up on the division teams, which they should be. And by the way, a hard division. I shouldn't say it's easy to win in the central because it's not. But right. if they haven't shown that they can com- compete and keep up with the good teams in the Central Division, it doesn't really give you a lot of hope, regardless if you make the playoffs or not. Yeah, and if you play uh, the, the Canucks, guess what? You're going to get a steady diet of Thatcher Demko. Yeah, right. that's exactly it. Like, you, you beat know. their backup goalie. Yeah. Because they wanted to save Thatcher for Colorado. It's funny, in talking in the Vancouver um, press room after their game, because obviously I go to both rooms, and they didn't really care that they lost to Minnesota because they were more, more focused on playing Colorado the next night. They knew they had Colorado, you know, like it just, that's, yeah, that's the mentality. That. That's how good teams are sometimes, right? Like they're not going to get hung up on losing it. And likewise, Minnesota shouldn't gotten on a high for beating them either. It's just, that's, that's the thing the is that felt like uh that felt like way too much of a defining game, which would be fine if you came out and kicked their ass as Declan said, right from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Like if you come out and you dominate the Canucks on Monday in front of your home crowd, it's like, okay, that was pretty impressive. But you were in huge trouble. You came back, you came scurrying back, and then I heard, heard it on the telecast last night, which was, well, I mean, it's tough to come back from that game on Monday. You were on such a high. <laughs> this is a playoff race. This isn't this isn't peewee hockey, yeah. you know? Don't have to come back like that. Don't have to score seven goals. So, 
And again, mind you, you were on the two man advantage yeah. for the majority of that time. So I want to like put that into yeah. a, an essence too. Like, it's not like you did this five on five. You did this when you were up. You should be scoring on those opportunities. There's no question about that. That's just, yeah. And the Canucks played a dumb game too. So, but beyond that, it was great. All right, uh, we're done here. But before we're, we're done, I want to talk to you, and Jesse does too, about our friends at Livia Weight Control Centers. Because, Jesse, we have both used this program. It's been outstanding. It's been great. What is your uh, your loss at right now from a weight standpoint, and how are things going for you? I'm almost 40 pounds down. Um, very excited. Getting closer and closer to my goal weight. couple extra stubborn pounds that I want to lose to look and feel my best, but I have absolutely loved the support that I get from Livia each and every week. I go to the Woodbury Clinic. They're always encouraging me even when I have those bad weeks because losing weight, dieting kind of sucks. It's kind of hard, but Livia holds you accountable and makes you want to continue to do it, and it's a it's a lifestyle change, so I'm excited for when I do finally reach my goal. I know I can maintain and sustain that lifestyle that I've created just like you've done, Judd. Absolutely right, Jesse. 855-GO-L-I-V-E-A, Livia.com, L-I-V-E-A.com. Join all the cool kids and start losing weight now. We'll see you later.